Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein. I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic anytime. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end, where we're also going to share an exciting opportunity for you. And please feel free to share this with others who you know will also find it of interest. So I always record my podcast from, as I say, the Judean Mountains, the original Bible Belt, but I rarely get to have the opportunity to have somebody with me in person rather than recording by Zoom from some distance. And today I'm particularly excited to have my good friend and colleague David Nekrutman here in my home in the Judean mountains uh, for a fabulous conversation. And this is an important topic. Um, It's very important as a pillar of Jewish Christian relations and underscoring the deep foundation of the biblical roots among Christians through connecting young people to Israel and the Jewish roots of their own faith. And it's something that's so important in a variety of ways. But one that I'm especially sensitive to is that in 2021, two surveys were released showing a 50% drop in support for Israel among young Christians in the previous decade. This is concerning on many levels because of the huge investment that's being made to connect young Christians with Israel. And because any decrease of support for Israel is bad, both for Israel and the world, But it's also because if young Christians are not connected to the significance of Israel and the Jewish roots of their faith as a pillar of their faith, it's bad for the church. Now, not too many Jews I know who are engaged in the broader efforts to build relations between Jews and Christians will look at or even articulate the significance of the negative impact of this trend and certainly will not speak of the significance of the harmful impact of the church as a result but it's a pillar of something that Genesis 123 Foundation is addressing and something that our guest today, David Nekrutman, lives and embodies. David has been a friend and colleague for over two decades. We both got our start together in Jewish-Christian relations, working with Israel's foreign ministry, me about a decade before him. But honestly, he he really paved the path. My my I dipped a toe in the water at that point as compared to what David did. Um, David also, by full disclosure, is a member of the Genesis 123 Foundation Advisory Board and a judge and sponsor of our unique contest for Christian children, What Israel Means to Me. I do want to share some background, but this is very personal and I'll share why. David has been following calling of Jewish-Christian relations for over 20 years. He's the executive director for the Isaiah Projects, a ministry dedicated to creating and providing specific tools that will help Christians discover the Hebraic roots of their faith, as well as providing humanitarian aid to single Ethiopian mothers living in Israel and Christian Arabs living here as well. His vision includes launching the first ever Bible curriculum 
that fuses critical thinking and Hebraic understanding for the homeschooling high school world via biblical excavations. And we're going to talk about that today. David travels throughout the world, sharing valuable Hebraic insights from the Bible to churches, Christian universities, and Bible study groups, and much more. Last year, he published a book, a copy of which is sitting here on the table, called Your Sabbath Invitation. And honestly, I meant to have a conversation about that for months now and haven't made the time, which is my bad. Um, but it's an important book, and we're going to be giving away a copy at the end of this uh, recording, so I want you to stay tuned. Um, your Sabbath invitation is an important resource that helps Christians soak in the amplified presence of God on Sabbath and empowers one to decipher and interpret scriptures in a Hebraic way. David also writes, and his widely published op-ed articles have appeared in the Jerusalem Post, the Times of Israel, and Charisma Magazine, just to name a few, and he's appeared on God TV and CBN, among others. In 2018, this is something that I'm always in awe of David about, he received his Master's of Arts in Biblical Literature with a concentration in Judaic Christian Studies from the College of Theology and Ministry at Oral Roberts University. His degree there established him as one of the very few Orthodox Jews to graduate from a Christian university's theology program. I want you to think about that. Re-listen to it. He established himself as one of the very few Orthodox Jews to graduate from a Christian university's theology program. In 2021, David also received recognition from Israel's foreign ministry as, as a result of his work for decades as a goodwill ambassador, appropriate because that's where he started his work, working in the foreign ministry in New York. David lives in Israel with his wife and three sons. That's all the formal stuff. But I will say this, that David is about a decade younger than I am. And David uh, started his work with Christian Jewish Christian relations about, about a decade later, albeit I will say that David is the godfather. David, David uh, when, when I think of the colleagues who do what we do, David is the gold standard, and I always look up to him. Um, I admire him. I'm grateful. Um, I'm grateful for his constant support. Uh, when we started the Genesis 123 Foundation, David was one of the first people we turned to to be part of the advisory board. And um, all of the work that you're doing, David, welcome to my home and welcome to Inspiration from Zion. Wow, it's great to be back. Last time we did the 2021 prophetic highlights. We did. We did. Maybe we'll do the 2020. But we're in 23 now. We'll do 23 yeah. at the end. We're in the uh, belt buckle. We, the Bible we're, we're in the, we are in the original buckle of the <laughs> Bible belt and there's a lot going on. And, and if you can't wait till December when we do a, a prophetic review of the top 10 prophetic items, uh, I just pray that people will follow the news and, uh, and enjoy being part of this. What's great is that we've been speaking, uh, off, off the podcast episode as, as you, you actually sort of, were with me in the entire journey of my uh, serving the calling of Jewish Christian relations for over 20 years. Yep. Um, and we've done some projects behind the scenes. And I remember when we did the data praise event years ago of sort of changing the dynamic and the paradigm Correct. on how uh, 18 on you, you were one of the first speakers mm -hmm. to come on. Mm -hmm. So our relationship is just, deeper than just serving on the advisory board of genesis uh one two three it's it's a lifelong uh, fellowship with one another yeah. and I, you're one of the one of two other people that i can actually speak to 
because this is a lonely calling from the Jewish It's side. a lonely calling, and sometimes it's a contact sport. When you did the day to praise, you didn't get all red carpets rolled out for you. No, we have the uh, we have the chief rabbi. We have the chief rabbi. Um, one of the chief rabbis of Israel call it a strange fire. So this Leviticus moment was put on a celebration between Jews and Christians to really say the same Psalms to celebrate the same event in modern day sacred history. And that's Israel's independence day. Yet the Israel rabbinate felt it was a strange fire. Yes. Well, not everything we fire, do, but a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So we've gone through, we've gone through it together in the trenches. We have. And, and I look forward and it's not, you're right. This is a, this is a, a, a deep relationship that is, that it is as wide as it is deep. And, and it's not just that you're a member of the advisory board, but why I turn to you. Um, and, and I'm always grateful for that. Before we talk about the details of what you're doing today, you were born in America like I was. We both have fine American accents, um, educated there, I think still today, spent most of our lives there. Um, what's your background? Share your background, because it's always fascinating what brings a good American Jew with everything going for them in America to uproot everything and move away from your family like Abraham did and come to a land that, albeit as much more developed, um, is still far away? Well, ultimately, the reason would be to be a chapter heading in in modern day seeker history, uh, as opposed to a footnote in the diaspora representing the Jewish people. If I see that the ingathering of the exiles are happening in front of me, and I believe the modern day state of Israel is the first flowering of our redemptive history, yep. Yep. which is what we pray every uh, on Sabbath every single week, that we believe that the state of Israel is the redemptive times that we're living in. Um, then you have to make a choice. Do you want to remain in the coziness of the diaspora or try to make it in Israel where you wake up every single day? in fulfillment of prophecy yes that's right right not everything's fulfilled yet but i am no different than the sanitation worker getting up in the morning and saying wow we have a sovereign jewish state and everyone who's involved in this is part of that in fulfillment so that was ultimately that's the decision but more so my oldest son was five years old and i had to make a decision and this comes back eventually what we're going to talk about education. Yeah, good point. Um, my son was going to go into first grade. Do I want to stay in New York, which it was at that time very unaffordable, knowing full well I probably spend twenty thousand dollars a year a year for Jewish education to send my 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 son to what's called the yeshiva, the Jewish parochial school, or do I go to another Jewish community in the United States? Uh, where it'll probably be a little bit less, or do I make my decision and come here? And the difference is, and ultimately this is what my wife and I spoke about, when you are growing up as a Jew, uh, as a committed Jew in the United States, you do feel a sense of heavy responsibility to carry the faith. Uh, always putting your Jewishness front and center, but here in Israel, it's there but the opportunity of who you are presents many paths to express that faith. Yeah. Um, so we felt for the 
being a healthy family that's committed to Judaism, it would be best to raise our children here. And ultimately, that was it, because you know what's different about the United States is that there is a separation of church and state in the United States, and you can't use your tax dollars to pay for religious education, whereas here you can use your tax shekels uh, because we have a fusion of synagogue and state, and therefore you have a choice to send your child to any religious institution, and then it will be almost fully subsidized by the government. Correct. Uh, so that was a key, key moment for us that it's, what do we want for our children? And obviously to, to create a uh, chapter heading in the state of Israel. I love how you said it. And speaking about the prophecy out the window that's behind me, we look out as a, at a playground. So to come about prophecy, I see the prophecy when I look out the window of children playing in the streets. And you've had the privilege of raising your children here. Me now, my grandchildren are coming along and we see it. And it's just it's not just existing and waking up, but it's actually through everything that we do. It's thriving yeah. as opposed to survival. And I know that's weird saying that in the country that its borders are constantly challenged by our enemies, but we don't feel a sense of we're doing this out of sense of survival. We're here because we're, we're Jews. We have a sovereign state. We have um, almost 7 million Jews who are living here by now. Yep. Uh of course, 20% of our citizens are not Jews. Correct. And we're proud of that fact. Yes. But at the end of the day, like there's no, is you can't, it's hard to put into words that the everyday living is just prophetic in nature and not survival in nature. And it's not ghettoized when you're, when you're doing that in the diaspora. And it infuses everything that we do. We're coming on the, uh, we're in the holiday season for Purim. So already weeks ago, we're starting to see Purim uh, bakeries selling Hamantasha and Ozne Haman uh, for the holiday and uh, beginning the month of Adar and things just publicly get celebratory. And, and in a month from now, we're going to be in the Passover and this, it, it infuses everything in our lives, even if we're not religious. Right. That sense of uh, Jewish expressions, right? We, we don't say have a great weekend. We say Shabbat Shalom. Correct. Right? Correct. So it's, it's kind of interesting what, what, how we operate. We don't say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We say Yom Rishon, the first day, Yom Shani, which is very much very biblical in the sense that we put numerics to our days as opposed to Correct. names of the days. Correct. Well, it also biblical because it also re- replicates God's creation, the first day, the second day, etc. cetera. Um, we could go on for an hour like this. Uh, we're not going to today, but we'll we'll find the other opportunities. Um, I I want to take. Uh, it's hard speaking with you and keeping track of time. That's my job. I want to take a, a a very short break for an announcement, and then come back and I want to speak about how you got into the Jewish Christian relations, and then fast forward to what you're up to now. Do you have children or know somebody who does? If the answer is yes, you need to hear this. This year, in celebration of Israel's 75th anniversary, the Genesis 123 Foundation has launched an incredible art contest for your children and Christian children all around the world. The contest, What Israel Means to Me, gives your children the opportunity to show why Israel is special to them through art. They can draw, paint, color, or illustrate this in any way they want. The contest will be judged according to different age groups, with real prizes awarded to the winners. Please visit whatisraelmeanstome.com for details, contest rules, and how to register your child. 
Deadline for submission of all entries is in April, and the announcement of winners will be at a live event on May 14th. Please don't delay in registering your child, and please share this with others who will also want their children to participate. Visit whatisraelmeanstome.com and join us today. Okay, so David, your background, you made, you're here, how many years in Israel? Uh, in July will be 18 years, our high celebration. Oh, wow, you came just the year after me, because we're 19, I thought it was a little bit later. Uh, 2005. July oh, you came in four, okay. Yeah, you came in four, you're, you're 19 years. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're going to celebrate 18. Does- I, was, I was supposed to be the speechwriter for... The Prime Minister, then Ariel Sharon. Because uh, yeah. I used to work for the Israeli Council yeah, of New York. Yeah. The person responsible for human resources for the Israeli Council of New York uh, liked me a lot. And I said, okay, I'm planning to move. Is there a possibility I can uh, get a job within the Prime Minister's office as his English speech writer? Yeah. And uh, the answer was yes. I went through the security. So I moved here. Now, you have to understand, I, I grew up in a New York minute. Uh, a tree grows in Brooklyn. Uh, and I end up, uh, my first year, uh, f- at my in-laws on a Moshava farm community with cows next right, door. Right, so right. I wake up every day to cow manure, <laughs> the smell of cow manure. Uh, there's nothing going on in farm life uh, on this particular Moshav. Uh, so it, that was a, you know, a shock moment, a cultural shock moment, just to the everyday living there. And then I go through the security protocol. It looks like I have the job and I find out that there was a miscommunication and I never got the job. Well, and then anyway. And then I ended up in Geffen Publishing. Yeah. Selling books. That's right. uh, As my first job. So like an immigrant trying to make it in your own country. um, So we always, we have this line. Most Jews know this. uh, We plan, but God laughs. And uh, so all the plans you have coming to Israel could fall apart in a moment's notice. And that that's literally what happened to me is like, I thought I had the job. I don't have the job. I'm a salesman now, which is something I wasn't anticipating to do. But thank God for uh, Elon from uh, Geffen Publishing. That was my first job. My second job was a technical writer at a, um, at a uh, high tech uh, company. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I had two jobs. Uh because my last house was in a Jamaican area in Brooklyn, New York. Right. So I felt I was a Jewish Jamaican at this point <laughs> in time, juggling two jobs. And then eventually, uh, Rabbi Shlomo Riskin, uh, who was the former chief rabbi of Efrat and the head of Ortar Stone, uh, a major network of um, campuses here in Efrat, in Gush and other places in Judea, as well as within Jerusalem and other places in the state of Israel. Uh, he heard about me and my experience of Jewish Christian relations for a common friend of ours, Bishop Robert Stearns. And in November of 2007, he calls me up and he says, uh, Robert suggests that you should uh, help me create the first Orthodox Jewish institution to actively actively cooperate and engage theologically with Christians. And when you get a phone call from Rabbi Riskin on something like that, that's not uh, dipping a water. That's more like a commandment. Yeah, it's more of a commandment. Not only that, just for your Christian audience listeners, just to understand the magnitude of who Rabbi Riskin is. Uh, he's the Billy Graham of Judaism. That's the best way I can okay. describe that as modern that, Orthodox Judaism. For, for modern Orthodox Judaism. Yeah. 
So when he's calling you and he says, meet me at midnight at Ben Gurion Airport, <laughs> which is, we're both laughing because the joke here, uh, anyone who knows Rabbi Riskin, uh, we would say our father in heaven because he's always constantly Correct. flying somewhere. Yep. Uh, he's like Israel's emissary to the world because he would go to any part in the world just to show how the beauty of Israel and and to promote Jewish identity, of course. So when Rabbi Riskin goes ahead and tells you to come to Ben Gurion Airport, you say yes. And then <laughs> you, I have to tell my wife, Colony, I'll be home late. <laughs> and then uh, basically he tells me of his vision of how he wants to change the status quo of the Orthodox Jewish movement's attitude towards Christianity, as opposed to just a handful of rabbis involved in theological di- dialogue or academic settings to talk about how you move Jewish Christian relations, this would be a movement taking on the cause and changing the status quo. And I have to tell, I told Rabbi Riskin, he shouldn't do this. Did you? I told I him every story. I don't think I yeah, know. I told him every reason why he shouldn't. Okay. Because this, because a when you're trying to change the status quo, that means most Jews on our in our denomination are not happy to engage with Christians. Correct. Because still um, today, still today, especially back then, we're talking over twenty, almost twenty two years ago, where the collective memory of what the church did in the name of Jesus is still very raw within the collective memory of Jews and trying to engage in a positive way messes up that memory. Are you compromising? If you're compromising, what's going to happen? So in all fairness to Rabbi Riskin, who again is considered a giant in our world, Plus, he has an institution of 3,500 students, and he's the second largest exporter of rabbis around the world. Changing that means that he's going to find himself with mountain challenges within his own community here in Afrat. Not just starting up something new, but obstacles. Obstacles. Even even if he's the Billy Graham. Correct. 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 You know, he, again, he's, he's not, uh, he's not new to obstacles because he did change the status quo of women learning Talmud correct. at a time where it was considered taboo. Correct. He, he also created the first Jewish women's leadership for Jewish law to be educated just on the same level as male rabbis yeah. without being called rabbi. Yeah. Uh, so he, he's not a stranger to obstacles, but this is a little different. One is a setting within Judaism. Yes, exactly. And the other is engaging with another faith that is perceived to be an enemy of Judaism. Um, I want to be being an all-star in one sport and then going out to be on the starting five of another. Yes. Our, continuing our baseball metaphor there we for go. today. So, <laughs> um, so I told him, listen, it's going to be the worst PR nightmare for you within, within your world. Uh, you will lose money because there will be donors not happy that, that you're doing this. And I'm not doing this from uh, the financial bandwagon to just go ahead and get money from Christians. I'm doing this from a relational model. I want to, I believe a spiritual in, relational, a spiritual relational. Not, yeah. yeah. This you is, you have a lot of friends. You don't need more friends. Correct. So, uh, he, he said, yes. And I said, if you're going to risk everything, I want to be part of history because this would be the first time ever. I want you to understand this. Most Jewish, all Jewish Christian relational institutions are mostly on a Catholic campus 
sometimes on a Protestant, some on a Protestant True. campus. This would be the first time it would be on yeshiva campus. Correct. Never, never yeah. has that, never has that been done. So it's a big statement. We had a building. I, I didn't even know we had a building. We had a building. Yeah. Were, yeah. Everyone knows the building here is known as the hotel building yes. in, in a frat, but we transformed that into a center yes. to uh, host Christian groups to engage in the Bible with one another, to have the dialogues. And he said, yes. And literally we transform the way Jewish Christian relations is done today. Anyone who came in afterwards was using some type of model of ours yep. to do this work. From a Jewish perspective. From a Jewish perspective. Correct. So I want to make the very, everything's from, from, from the Jewish side. And then, um, Rabbi Riskin was so gracious that when I had the opportunity to go to Oral Roberts University, he, not only did he permit it, he wrote the letter of recommendation. So it, it was a, it, and, and I just want to make this very clear. Uh, Mark Rutland, who was a former president of Oral Roberts University, would not allow me to go unless Rabbi Riskin That's was okay. That's impressive. I didn't know that either. So, the, so I just, you know, the, wow. I owe Rabbi Riskin a lot for enhancing the call in Jewish Christian relations and to serve this for so many years. Yeah. So that's a little bit of the a background for just like I grew up Where as a New got, York. Yeah. yeah. I grew up as a New York Jew, first eight years of my life, totally secular. Uh, uh, my parent, my, uh, a colleague of my father at his work wanted him to be more committed to his Judaism and I get thrown into Yeshiva Brooklyn. And uh, we become committed Jews. Uh, I became sort of the rabbi in the family because mm. my, my father and my mother were not uh, educated in sure. Judaism. Sure. So at eight years old, I'm I'm yes. doing things that are not normally done for an eight year old to bring faith into the home. Correct. So, but everything I learned from my yeshiva background prepared me for the work that I'm doing in Jewish Christian relations today, especially in Bible education, where you fuse critical thinking. Engaging, yeah, yeah, very engage, much so. Engaging and, and that's also so important because Christians don't approach Bible from a critical thinking perspective necessarily. I want to segue to what you're what you are doing now, but um, it's also to Rabbi Riskin's credit, people who know him or know of him. Well, it's it's worth asking for people to be praying for him now as well. He's not only retired as chief rabbi and as the head of Ortora Stone, but he's not well. People, I think it's it's public. We're not sharing any secrets that he has Parkinson's. Yeah, and people should be praying for him. Uh, but until you said it now, and I've known and known of Rabbi Riskin for longer than I have known you, but his name certainly embodies who he is because he's always risking stuff yeah he's always risking stuff yeah. and and he did that with you and and everything that you and he built together yeah okay so he's he's he retired and, he transitioned and, in, 20, and, in 2018 and, and you have moved on and are now the executive director of the isaiah project correct so um i had christian mothers and grandmothers approach me <laughs> this is this is where if you would have asked me when i was at the israeli consulate would i be involved in elevating homeschool Bible education, I would say I, I, it's not in my yeah. my thinking, right? right? But um, in my visits to the United States during COVID, I noticed a major shift in public school education that were embracing values that were countering the Bible, uh, the whole gender fluidity, the extreme wokeism that was happening. Um, 
And parents were noticing for the very first time, because now the kids are home, what they were learning in the classroom. True. And there was decisions by parents uh, to pull their kids out from public school education and put them into the homeschool world. However, um, when Christian mothers and grandmothers are asking me, listen, we know that at this time in, in living with the secular values in America is being so saturated with our, with our kids. We think that one of the keys to help maintain the faith of, of our Christian sons and daughters might be a Hebraic way of learning the Bible. Well, and if people are making a conscious decision on their values to pull their children out of a public school and bring them into homeschool, and their values are based in their faith, then it's intuitive that that would happen, but it's not intuitive. You're, 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 you're piloting something. Yeah, just, we're, we're doing, doing something, something completely yeah. here. We're doing something Nehemiah-like, very much paving a way yeah. that's never really been done before. Because part of, first of all, you have to pray intensely whether or not this is where you want to go. Uh, even though you're being asked by people to go into this, to this new calling, this chapter. But when I reviewed all the Bible curriculums, which are grade eight Bible curriculums from for, back, for homeschooling, for homeschooling okay. um, I noticed that the common denominator from all those Bible curriculums was called a devotional approach to scripture. More of an emphasis in memorization of chapters and verses. You're feeling towards the stories, but I never saw any critical thinking. Mm. And I said, okay, I think I'm a pretty decent Bible teacher. Mm -hmm, You are. And maybe if I take that strength and I can apply it to the homeschool world, maybe this will be a key in helping the child to maintain their faith and actually enjoy Bible learning as opposed to I have to do because my parents Wrote stuff that you memorize and don't relate to. You don't relate to. So uh, the first publication last year that we produced was Your Sabbath Invitation. Um, I highly recommend it. I did that. Actually, I had a great editor, Pamela Idris, and her husband, Samir, who I met at Oral Roberts University. And I really started off with 10 chapters it was, I, if anyone knows Oral Roberts' Seed Faith book, it's this little this tiny little book. And what did something like that okay. on Sabbath? Okay. And then as the, my, I gave it to my editor to look at, and, and she said, uh, David, we're going to have to change everything on this because the concepts that you're throwing out, there is no context for somebody who has no Hebraic understanding to relate to some of the nuggets that you're putting in here. Uh, so we began a journey of um, layering everything. And these are things that you knew. You you knew that it had to be repackaged, but you didn't. But even even with your decades of experience, your initial draft, whether you didn't have the experience or the frame of mind or or, or what have you, you, didn't do it. Correct. You did it. You did it as just being. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, here's something to think about on right. the Sabbath. Right. Originally, it was entitled "The Missing Commandment." Uh huh. Interesting. It was going to be a fire and brimstone sort of uh, book. Very, very appropriate title, by the way. Right. The missing commandment, because the 
if everyone is advocating for the Ten Commandments to be in the court. Bingo, then, we're not, right. Right, so I'm saying, do you really want all ten or you want nine? Because I don't see the Sabbath right. really front and center. I'm not under the law. The Sabbath doesn't relate to me. Right. So usually that's the case. When you put the word Sabbath, there is this automatic reaction from some Christians that you're putting me under the law. And and from my perspective, I'm like Sabbath has nothing to do with the law. Sabbath really is the first intent of God and his last creative act. This predates Sinai. And in fact, if anyone is reading the Gospels really closely, mm-hmm. uh a lot of healing that Jesus does in a synagogue or outside of the synagogue is on Sabbath. So it's not that Jesus didn't. Which is so significant, not time for now, but but Christians who don't understand the significance of Jesus doing what he did on the Sabbath is so important in Judaism and first century Judaism. Correct. Um, so I want to make it very clear, if you read any of the gospels, Jesus doesn't violate the Sabbath at all. Um, and furthermore, he's making a statement of healing on the Sabbath. And it wasn't healing that he decided to go to a CVS or a Rite Aid <laughs> and he's grinding out the herbs needed for, for the medication for the person to be healed. He prayed and the person was healed. So. Therefore, from just strictly from a gospel account that he's doing this stuff in a synagogue on the Sabbath, that Jesus is going to a synagogue on the Sabbath. I mean, just think for that for a moment. If you go to Luke chapter four, uh, which you can visit today, it's called the, uh, the synagogue church in Nazareth. Nazareth, Yeah. It's fascinating. Uh, So therefore he's going, they're reading. Uh, what would be called a weekly Torah portion, right. usually entitled Parsha Tashavua, uh, a selection from the Pentateuch. Uh, they're also reading from the prophets. You also see this in Acts with Paul when he visits Antioch. He's going into a synagogue on Sabbath. the Sabbath, right. and they're reading from the Torah and from the prophets. They're reading from the so there's Jewish customs and but everything is being done on the Sabbath. So for me, it, uh, I was like, okay, so there seems to be a missing commandment here. And when I had the conversation with my editor, she's saying, like, David, you grew up with this. This is so part of who you are and your expression of your faith. Most Christians today under 40 do not think that even Sunday is Sabbath. Excellent point. That that Excellent. Uh, and I was like, okay. That's a, and that's a problem that goes to the homeschooling and everything that you're doing. Correct. So I was like, okay. And that's where the title, Your Sabbath Invitation, was born very nice and therefore if that is the title then now all the chapters have to be relating to the invitation great so we redid the book and then it came out uh last year and then uh we tested it to to people and we realized that the book is a little hot is more on a graduate level than on on a, on a high school level so, yes so i hired yes. i hired a team of high school mothers Mm, we put together and we rewrote the the entire book with a study guide so the one i read a year ago was first edition first edition i didn't know that so that's very interesting because you gave me a copy at the nrv convention some weeks later i we were together or i was speaking to you or something and i mentioned that i read it and really liked it we must have been together because i remember your facial expression it surprised me that you've that you were surprised that A, I read it and B, that I was as impressed as I did. And I don't know that I made that comment. I'm glad you said it, that I did think that it was at a bit too high a level 
for an average Christian who's not familiar with Judaism and Jewish tradition. And that's after spending a lot of time layering the concepts and, and laying it out in a way that people would get it. But if we're going to now introduce the first curriculum through uh, the Isaiah projects, it has to be at a, at a it has at to be for right has to be a level. So great. We, so not only that, there's a you we we've discussed this before we got onto the podcast. There's a major biblical illiteracy crisis in the world, and just the average Christian reading the Bible on an everyday level is only sixteen percent. Sixteen. One six. Okay. All right. Now let, let's understand the world we live in right now. You have the most access to the Bible and commentaries than any other day ever, 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 ever. Yet there seems to be more biblical illiteracy than ever. Because there are many more challenges. I remember vividly sitting in a Chick-fil-A in Fort Worth, Texas with a pastor who was fascinated why I wouldn't eat anything there from a kosher perspective and learning about that. But I was learning from him, his challenges as a pastor. And he said, it's the competition with modernity, with the society and all of the, everything that people are bombarded with. Yeah. It just seems like I'm willing to download an app to my phone that has a Bible app. I'm willing to buy new Bibles. And get emails every day. Emails every day. But the engagement of it. And I think this, this is to me a surprise because you know this when we Growing up in Judaism, our our daily prayer in the morning is, blessed are you, God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us through this directive to engage in your word. Yeah. And I think it, it's not reading. No, no, it's, it's, it's engaging. It's, it's, it's active. It's active engagement. And I think what you have out there today is simply reading it and not empowering someone how to dissect it properly and live it and live it in in, in a practical sense it's very hard to go through the bible okay amazing so i want to take a break um and then come back and talk about how you're doing that with the high school curriculum the practicalities the book is an amazing book before we take a break where do people buy buy it so your sabbath invitation the book itself on the graduate level is your sabbath invitation.com and then the homeschool curriculum is biblicalexcavations.com. Got it. Biblicalexcavations.com. And that's for the homeschool world. Okay. Thank you. We're going to take a break and come right back and then, uh, and then take this to a real, not that we're not talking about practical things, but a super, a, pra- a practical level on steroids. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed, keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill, they are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter, and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity 
to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. Okay, David, this is amazing. I loved, I, I didn't know as much as we're connected. So we don't get to see each other and talk together like this, much less off, off uh, microphone often. I didn't know that you adapted this for the curriculum. We've been talking about the challenges, specifically focusing on American society. And maybe that's, I'm saying in quotes, the worst, but it's not the exclusive. Um, there are many challenges, many challenges confronting kids. I love that you had the realization that the pandemic and, and, and that it was a, a trend and is a trend, parents pulling their kids out of schools. So you now have an opportunity and you're, you're pioneering something creating this curriculum. Um, any, what, first, what about that process that we haven't discussed before can you share? And then second of all, where are we now? Okay, so first and foremost, you, uh, this is a new chapter for me. Pun intended. Correct. <laughs> Correct. So one of the key things that w- when we're dealing with homeschool education is that there has never been uh, an active approach to teach revelational nuggets from the Bible on location. So one of the things we did in the homeschool curriculum is provide 4K video from different sites in Israel and then fleshing out the concepts in the chapters. So this is what we call biblical excavations on location. Very nice. And then we provided a podcast called Biblical Nuggets that to for a per, for a person that's not only visual but also audio can hear yeah, yeah 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 so it's not just reading the book it's reading the book in in high def great uh so this was very important so it, it is the and people f- learn different ways so you're providing the different ways correct and not only that we want we want this to be an, a family experience yes this is the this is the great thing of having a, a, a homeschool mother team as they provide the advice on how to enhance and enrich the experience for the family. Because although the, the, the teenager is going through this, we want Sabbath to be incorporated into the family because ultimately this is not about do's and don'ts. Sabbath is not about do's and don'ts. Uh, I know that Jews have a tabernacle approach to Sabbath. We attach our definition of what work is through the paradigm of the tabernacle by constructing and deconstructing it. Correct. And the reason why is that there is after the, um, after completing the tabernacle, there's a repeat of the Sabbath, uh, law. Right. And therefore we have what we have in Judaism called episodic connectional hermeneutics. Oh my, what's that? What is that? That why is this particular text? Sounds like why, it should come out of a new right, this, is, this is. I'm sorry to get a little academic, but the way I can say is why is this episode following this? Tigers and bears, oh my. Oh my. Uh, why is this episode following this episode? Is there a rhyme and a reason? Is, is, uh, just yes. a, is a hodgepodge, yes. is the Bible a hodgepodge or is there intent in the way it's laid out? So in Judaism- Well, there we, is intent. We just have to find it. Correct. But I think just to know that there is intent in layout is critical, right? We grew up with there's intent in layout. I don't think that's really understood 
in Christian circles. Correct. That's a Hebraic Correct. understanding. Correct. So if we have the Sabbath after the finishing of the tabernacle, therefore, there's got to be a rhyme and a reason why Correct. they're connected. Therefore, the way we approach Sabbath is through the tabernacle. And that means every every uh, work-related activity in the construction in the of construction the tabernacle. tabernacle is something that we can't do. Correct. That is um, not that is not what uh, non-Jews who believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are under. Correct. Okay. So there was a Sabbath before Sinai. We know this in Exodus chapter sixteen. Mm-hmm. Before Sinai, we have both the biological descendants of Jacob and the mixed mul- the great mixed yes, multitude. Yes. Yes. Shabbating that's on the right. seventh that's day. Right. So that's this is Exodus chapter 16, verse 30 in the manna episode. Right. So if I was part of the great mixed multitude, or if I was even a biological descendant of Jacob, and then Moses is telling me about Sabbath, then I would have raised my hand and just say, Hey, what Moses, about? what is a Sabbath? Yeah. Right. So for him to say it and for the people to understand it, that means there had to be some type of understanding. And I won't even go further. The Egyptian calendar had 10 yeah, days in their yeah, week. Yeah. had 10 days in a week. And we're, we're as Bible believers, we know that there are seven days in a week. And if you think that the, that week wasn't trying to be compromised in modern day history, Stalin, in order to get rid of religious influences, had a six day week. Right. right? After the French Revolution, they had right. a 13 day week. Right. They didn't have... The miracle that we are seven days on a week is truly a miracle, but especially during that time. So if I am saturated in paganism, I'm, I'm, I'm a slave as a biological descendant of Jacob, right? I really haven't celebrated a Sabbath nope. at all. Nope. I shouldn't even, even know what a Sabbath is unless it was part of the, it was out there. The idea was out there. So Moses is saying, and we're understanding it, even for the great mixed multiple to understand that. It had to be a Sabbath before Sinai. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That Sabbath in before Sinai. In the prequel. That Sabbath before Sinai had nothing to do with the tabernacle. Tabernacle didn't come in yet. So anything related to what will work and how you define it, we don't know. But it, it's not related to the but tabernacle. But it's understood. It's understood. It's foundational. Right. So I just want to make this very clear. I'm not asking Christians to adopt a Jewish practice of Sabbath. I am saying that Sabbath is integral to a godly lifestyle and it's not about a day off. It's not about unplugging. It's actually even to plug in more. I consider Sabbath like a 220 uh, plug that you're in the socket. Like we have in Israel in in America, you have a 110. Correct. Or I would even say from American standpoint, you have a 60 watt light bulb. That's a, or a hundred watt light bulb. What you're doing is a hundred watt light bulb on the Sabbath. If you want a vacation, take a vacation. If you want a me day, go take a me day. But this is a capital H-I-M day. So the, the book is is focusing on the text before Sinai. It's inspired by Isaiah 66, 23, where he envisions a redemptive Sabbath universally celebrated by all. Right. How is that going to happen if we don't start doing it now? If we don't even think of, of Sabbath in that way? So that's part of of what we're doing in the first curriculum. Uh, first curriculum is about your Sabbath, Sabbath. invitation. Okay. The second okay. curriculum that we're doing right now is we're partnering with Dr. Brad Young, okay. from, who created the Judeo Christian Studies program at All Roberts University, who who create who actually produced the first English translation uh, of the New Testament in its Hebraic. Yeah, I need to get a copy of that. I should have brought it. Okay. I'll get you a copy. Uh, 
so we're going to use his parables book as an inspiration. We're doing an intro to the parables for next year. That's amazing. So it's going to give you a intro into Jesus's world, the, the Judaism surrounding Jesus in here in Israel. What's quite a little different than outside of Israel. Correct. And then what a, the Jewishness of a parable. Um, I think most Christians, when they think of parable, they're going to think that Jesus created the monopoly on parables, that uh, the whole story form parable uh, comes only from Jesus. And in fact, if you go to David and Bathsheba, sin, when Nathan is rebuking the king. Well what, said. Excellent. I like that. He uses a yep. parable yep. story form. He doesn't come out and say, David, you're a, you're, you're a bad man. Person. You're a bad man. Yeah. Right. Uh, so he uses a parable Excellent. story form. Uh, not only that, Isaiah chapter five, the parable of the vineyard. Uh, so parable story form uh, is, was already in existence. Uh, obviously, Jesus is using that Jewish technique to provide a what we call a kingdom principle for someone who's hearing this lesson and and saying to that person, you have to make an immediate decision. That was culturally appropriate at the time. He didn't come out of, he wasn't a Martian landing on earth trying to explain what life on Mars is. He was speaking in the land of Israel to Jews in the first century. Right. So first century, first century uh, believers in Jesus are hearing him. But remember, Jesus never wrote anything down. Okay, so if we have it, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, they are recording his his teachings, but they're always quoting him as Jesus is always saying, as is it's written. Well, what was written? Well, the only thing that was written was the Hebrew Bible. Correct. All right, so I always tell Christians um you might want to take that blank page that separates the Old Testament from the New Testament because you can't fully have a high definition understanding of the New Testament without a great background 100%. of the Hebrew Bible. If Jesus is quoting all of this as it's written. He's saying that. Then the only thing that was written is the Hebrew Bible. The only thing in existence at the time the was other, it's the only it frame been, of reference. It's the only frame of reference. So again, it doesn't take away from what people have been taught until now. What I'm saying is we're going to try and provide a high definition uh, of this. And then, so just to go back to your Sabbath invitation, and we're talking about a Hebraic understanding fused with critical thinking. Let me just give an example of this, something we grew up on. Um, if you examine the first chapter of Genesis, you will see several patterns form. In that text, I think the number one pattern will be it was evening, it was morning, and Correct. just insert the day. Correct. But when you go to Genesis chapter two, verses one through three, you will not see that phrase. Correct. All right. A Hebraic understanding fused with critical thinking would say the following. Why? Why, Why is the seventh day missing that pattern? Whatever the revelational nugget comes out from it. Uh, in our circles, in Hebraic circles, the greatest compliment you can get is great question. Yes. The answer, if you have one, great. But I think we have learned in our own self-understanding and we've developed the skills of the art of the question. Something that's well, not just the art of the question in the principle of questioning. Yes, that you could question. Yeah. 
But you, you have to question. You have to question, but the best thing you can get as a compliment from your own rabbi, that's, we say is, uh, it's a great kasha. It's a great question, right? And that, that would be the great compliment. And in fact, you'll see this throughout the entire, uh, in the recordings of the gospels, Jesus is dealing with questions, mm. right? A lot of times you've paid attention to yeah, the answers. Yeah. He never really answers the question, okay. which is fascinating in of itself. And it's a different lesson. But it's always in in question mode. Yeah. Why? Because you're dealing with a, a a group of faithful people who are always dealing with questions. So how can you learn if you don't question? Yeah. Right. So the permission to question, which is a little different than in, in some Christian circles, that everything must be laid out in a PowerPoint. Right. And therefore, you're not you're not given the tools on how to question. So here, how can you engage a student? Is giving them permission for the ability to question, but you have to give them the tools on how to develop the art of the question. So it's not just the content, but the process of the thinking process. Correct. There's like redundancies in in text. There's emphasis. Like, again, if it was up to me, it was up to me. If I I had a David Necrutton version of the Bible. We know that everything was completed. You write about that in the book, don't you? Yes, yeah, I have. If if if, yes, if I yes, was in yes, charge yes. as the editor right, of yeah, the Bible, I, I like how you, that was, that's playful and it's and it's also a good way of thinking. Uh, if you really pay attention to what's happening on the seventh day, there's really nothing happening on the seventh day. Everything was completed. Yep. Right. We spend three verses talking about the seventh day, which nothing happens. So why can't I just simply edit it? Here's a great edit. Uh, everything was completed in six days and now rest on the seventh day. And I don't need Genesis chapter two, verses one through three. Right. Just start with Genesis four, uh, two, four, uh, chapter two, verse four. And that's it. I begin. This is the, the chronology. This is the history sure. of humanity. Sure. Right. So obviously if it's there, there's a r- rhyme and a reason and from, from, uh, from the revelational nugget is that God is actually creating a day. He created Sabbath. Correct. But th- that that ha- is very different than the other days. Correct. The other days are chaos into order. Those are all complete. God made everything ordered before Sabbath came. So what did he create? A day. What did he infuse in that day? Well, his his blessing and his sanctification. Correct. Right? And the way we define blessing is his amplified presence. Because the Hebrew word for, for blessing is bracha, which means more of. And then if we go to a Genesis chapter one perspective of how God is unfolding creation, that word kadosh in Hebrew from a God perspective of creation is transparency. I want to just interject. We're going to begin to wrap up, but um, it's it's always great to visit and talk. I have the privilege of sitting a foot and a half away from you. And I'm watching as you're speaking, I'm not just listening to the words that everyone is listening to. I'm watching the intensity. And as you're speaking, how your, your mind's eye is, is interacting with this. This is, this is real. This is not rhetoric. This is not a script. This is, this is something that you're engaging as an Orthodox Jew and presenting so well to Christians. I appreciate that. Where, where does it stand now? Um, the, the 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 curriculum are people studying it is, is it being engaged with so we do the beta testing in march okay. that's like the the soft launch as we call we call it uh in march okay so right now we're finishing up on all the 
the uh, biblical excavations on location site teachings. And um, once that's all finished, then we do the beta testing. We we thank Lisa Nearing uh, out in South Dakota, who has a homeschool network there, who's helping to facilitate the beta testing. And then we're in conversations right now with some major Christian organizations who wish to adopt the uh, curriculum. So um, thank God it took a year from the publication of the book to where we are right now. It's not a long time at all. Uh, and guys open up a tremendous amount of uh, pathways for us to, 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 you know, unveil this. And hopefully um, this is a way to really elevate the Christian homeschool Bible educational high school market. Um, and then, and hopefully we'll see more and more people, Take on take on the task of fusing Hebraic thinking and uh, uh, Hebraic understanding and critical thinking. What's the one thing, the one draw? If someone's listening to this now, kids are in public school, maybe they're thinking re- rethinking that, or kids are being homeschooled. Um, what's the one super duper thing that they need to come and take away that's going to draw them to, to your website so that they say, well, please be in touch with me. So as soon as this is available to the public, we can also jump in. I want Christians to understand they're part of a greater family. Uh, again, this comes from my relational approach to Jewish Christian relations. Uh, I don't, I'm not doing this because there's a crisis somewhere. I'm, I'm not doing this because, um, we can get involved with one particular issue. I can't be who I am as a Jew living in Israel without the Christian. And I know it sounds very weird coming from my mouth. Uh, and we're both keep on wearing Jews here. Um, and many Christians will tell me that I can't be who I am without you. Correct. Right. That's the more intuitive. And, but. At the end, this is not a Jewish VIP club. If me returning back as a steward in this land to create a chapter heading in Jewish history, or I should say sacred history, has to be in partnership with the nations. I don't know of any other faith community that believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and and believes in the sacredness of the Hebrew Bible as a Christian. So in a remnant sort of way uh there's a group of christians that i wanted to engage with relationally because we have to actualize god's kingdom now but how do you prepare that well you have to understand that jesus's humanity was born in a jewish household he was reared in the judaisms of his day and in fact, everyone knows when he ran away from his parents to 12 years old to go to the temple and he was engaging with the elders and the sages at the temple. Well, how was he engaging? Through questions and answers. Uh, so I look at this as that. Engaging is the pivotal word. Engaging. Yes. He wasn't listening. He wasn't, he wasn't listening. listening. He was engaging and they were going back and forth and people were astounded and amazed and what was happening. But but that means that part of Christian identity is taking into consideration the, the Jewishness of Jesus. And therefore, what we're providing for the Christian is how Jesus was learning and how he taught. So I'm, I'm, I, you've known me for years. I want a Christian to be Christ centered. 
And I understand that means a, a Christian believes 100% the divinity of Jesus and also the 100% humanity of Jesus. But that means the humanity is a Jewish, is Jewish in nature. And by divorcing the Jewishness of Jesus, uh, then you're, you're taking away a high definition of understanding a, a, an essential component of your faith experience. So when you talk about Christians connecting, there's, there's a line that we hear often as a, we heard often as Americans and maybe less so, but it's so, it's, it's sometimes real and sometimes it's rhetorical. What would Jesus do? This is the, this is that the, what you're doing is actually the answer to that question, giving people a first century Jewish approach of what Jesus did and would do and why he would do it and applying that to their faith. I would even make it a little bit, I will amplify a little bit more. Okay. The doing was rooted in a Hebraic yes, paradigm. Ah, all right. Okay. And that's essential to it. It's Good. not doing for the sake of Nike, just do it. Oh, I didn't think about right. that. Right. But it's a, it's a paradigm. It's a Hebraic paradigm. Yeah. Remember, Jesus, when he's living on earth, is preaching kingdom. Kingdom had a Hebraic understanding. And from, and what Jesus was preaching on the kingdom is immediate kingdom. Yeah. Uh, so all that is in a Hebraic context. And that's why I'm saying, an essential component of understanding Jesus is his Jewishness and the way he thought in order to do. Okay. Um, I want to take another break. One last one before we do remind listeners, what is the, how, how are people connecting with your Sabbath invitation and, and biblical excavation? So for, for the homeschool curriculum, biblicalexcavations.com and for the graduate level book, of your Sabbath invitation, your Sabbath invitation.com. Awesome. Let's take a break and come right back. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis 123 Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill, they are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash bless a soldier that's genesis 123.co slash bless a soldier and when you do you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people please join us okay say so david I'm, I'm gonna wrap up just with uh with a shameless plug which i don't often do but here we are. What the heck? <laughs> um, you're you've been an invaluable asset to me personally as we've grown Genesis one two three. Now this month we're launching finally this incredible project. Uh, what Israel means to me, engaging a different age of Christian children to as an art contest to express without any need for language 
visually what Israel means to them, biblically, modern history, etc. Um, you're a sponsor of that, and we're grateful, the Isaiah Project, and you're also a judge. So you're going to get to look at all of this art, and and I, I'm so excited to see what's going to come out of it. We've spoken about that. We've, we had an in-depth conversation about a month ago before I went to Africa. Um, why, why, why is that appealing to you? Why is it significant? Not, not because what I'm doing is so good, but what, what's good about it? Uh, because for so many years within Christianity, the location, the geographic location was not something considered in the theology of Christianity. And what you're doing through this art project is, but of course it's part of who I am. Yep. Um, Many people think that the city on the hill is is in their local neighborhood. Like Jerusalem has been metaphorically put into a box as only a metaphor. But we know that Jerusalem has been reborn. Yep. And we're living nearby. And uh, for a Christian now to consider that a geographic location also includes this the real city on the hill which is here for me that's a prime importance that a, a child is being brought up like that becomes to come second nature it's not something that they have to think about it later on if they do come to israel they don't come to israel i think essential in the in anyone's education they see themselves as part of this location because at the end this is all coming from zion it's all coming from here but it's real now it's in fulfillment and now the child is expressing that in the most artistic way possible. They're, they're like the Bitzalel at the end of the day who, who have, who had the ex, the artistic expression to build the tabernacle. Who was tapped. Who was tapped yeah. to do it. I mean, that is something that, that, that is a, uh, an amazing talent. It's a divine gift from God. If you can go ahead and see what Israel means to you, you're making it personal. What more can I want? And it would be an honor to be part of that process because it goes into what we're trying to do in the Isaiah Projects anyway is to imbue the the child to understand that they are part of a greater family and they are essentially connected to this land. Amazing. Um, David, I normally wrap up with a speech, which I'm going to do. But in the middle of that, I often will identify in whose honor or what, what, what this episode is dedicated in honor of a person, an event. Um, we sat down and we discussed it before. And sometimes I have the liberty if no one's actually paying to be a sponsor. And I want to make it meaningful. This is an important conversation. And we discussed how your friend, I don't know that I've ever met her, Billy Ann Smith, just passed away. You just returned from her celebration of life in America. Um, I'm privileged. I know she adopted you as one of the Christian mothers and grandmothers who, who have, um, but talk about her for a minute. Uh, so when I created the first prayer, Christian prayer service in support of Israel in a, ever in a consulate or Israeli embassy abroad, uh, Billy Ann Smith was there as one of the participants. Uh, she was a friend of Bishop Robert Stearns, who was one of the main speakers at this prayer event. She took, she saw me and she said to me after the prayer event, you look like my son, Marshall. Hmm. 
I'm adopting you. So I guess she was my first uh, Christian adopted mother, right? And she took me under her wings. And then she also became a good friend of, of my mentor, Rabbi Dr. Gerald Meister of Blessed Memory. And she used to travel with the Meister family to Israel every year. And since 2005, when I moved to Israel and and Rabbi Meister would come to with his family and with Billy Ann Smith, I would meet them at the airport. Oh, wow. And then, and when I visited the United States, I would occasionally go to Nashville, Tennessee. She lived in Brentwood and we would get together. My last face to face with her was to give her the book, Your Sabbath Invitation. Oh, wow. That's so meaningful. To give her the book. And then, Shame that it was last, but that's yeah, meaningful. Yeah, that was it. And, and unbeknownst to me, I didn't realize she was uh, uh, suffering from cancer. And then she passed away um, in in January. And I went to her celebration of life. And I just feel now uh, she was very heavy into Hebraic roots and the understanding of who Jesus is and his Jewishness. Very staunch Christian uh, who really inspired others to to see their sense of who they are as a christian and i just feel like in honor of her that now the new book that's rewritten for the high school will be dedicated to her memory well i'm privileged that we have the opportunity today to dedicate this episode of inspiration from zion in her memory and I pray that it will also, you and your words will, will continue what she was so invested in, why she adopted you on that very first day um, and inspire others. Um, let me just wrap up. David, first of all, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining Inspiration from Zion. This is not the first and it won't be the last. Um, it's a good occasion and excuse for us to get together once in a while in person when we're in the same place at the same time. So thank you for that. Um, I always say kind of in a self-deprecating way, if you stay with us this long, you deserve a reward. Last year, we began something called From Jonathan's Bookshelf, where every episode we ask people to share, comment, and follow these episodes. And when they do that, we offer a special book from Jonathan's Bookshelf. I have my copy of your Sabbath invitation because I read most of my books in print on Shabbat, on the Sabbath. I have lots of the corners turned down to remind you where I need to come back to since I'm not writing on that day. Um, This month, every episode, we will be giving away an opportunity for for somebody to receive a copy of your Sabbath invitation. David, I'm grateful for you providing that. Also want to mention um, that we're always grateful for our podcast sponsors, our friends, first of all, at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're ever in the area and want to stop in and thank them for making conversations like this possible, please do. And thanks to our coin, uh, our friends, the coin family as well for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider helping us to join and continue the dialogue and build bridges. As I said, this episode with privilege is, is sponsored in memory of Billy Ann Smith. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or special occasion, please be in touch at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your comments always as part of the dialogue and engagement, as David has used the, the, the phrase many times, and invite you to send any questions as well, especially questions you have 
about traditional Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings to you from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you.